Three, two, one. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Inside the 90 podcast show. I'm your host tonight, Kyle. I'm also joined with my co-host, Mason. We got fans on the show, Jose, Kenan, and Riley. Great to hear from you guys, and let's get into it. The biggest thing on the news today was there's a handful of games, but guess what? All those games were high, were pretty much foreshadowed, or excuse me, shadowed, based upon the massive outbreak of fans outside of Old Trafford and the team's hotel. We welcome Jose, Kenan, and Riley to the show. Jose, uh, you're first up. What are your thoughts on the Manchester United fans? I was completely shocked um, in the way that they just came into the stadium. It looked like it was super easy for them. Um, I, I first woke up to the news from you actually this morning and I responded I was still have asleep and <laughs> Quickly went downstairs to put on the Arsenal game and started watching the pictures come in and kind of the take over overtake the the entire second half of the of the of the, of the, of the Arsenal game and I was yeah I was shocked. I was pissed about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was just completely shocked about how much they had how many people how many people had actually uh, gone into the stadium you know they had talked about all week long about all the protests that were being planned and everything that was going to happen and I just for me, it just seemed too easy, um, and I'm sure that's something we'll probably talk about later on. They said there was about a thousand fans that got inside Old Trafford today. Yeah, and it, it just—I don't know—it for for knowing ahead of time of, that there was this was going to be planned, that there was going to be a protest outside the stadium. I'm I'm sure, we'll, like I said, we'll talk about it. But one of the things that was going through my head is why wasn't there better preparation on the uh, Manchester Police uh, to to be there uh, in case anything happened like this. I know, I know we live in a different country uh, and when we, we know of protests that are being planned, there's always a, a major police presence. Maybe it's different in Europe. I'm not sure. So maybe we can get some insight from that. Awesome. Jose. Just kidding. <laughs> Kenan, <laughs> what do you, what do you got? <laughs> Man, I hope Jose is able to join us soon. But uh, yeah, honestly, it was kind of liberating seeing that people still have access to uh, things like this, because in England, it was uh, the, the longest period of time where hooliganism was such a big issue. And then it was annexed out for the longest time and people were serving these long prison sentences. And then fast forward, you know, 21, 22 years, they're able to get back out on that stadium when it mattered, I, I think, the most. And it still shows that, uh, that, that Manchester United, a, a club of that big of a name is able to have that magnitude from its supporters so i think that was kind of um it was a statement that's all i have on that riley off to you um as someone who was first introduced to the beautiful world of football at 10 years old to manchester united i couldn't be more proud to be a manchester united fan today i'm proud of our fans for Standing up for what's right and the tyranny of the Glazers organiz- of the Glazers ownership, it's been it's been horrendous. And um, just seeing our fans stand up and say enough is enough, you know, we've been saying Glazers out since before they came in, and uh, I'm just glad to see that you know we actually decided to do something about it for, you know, outside of just holding up the green and gold scarfs that we've all seen on the news forever now. So what what's the story with the green and gold? That was the pri- that was the previous colors of the original club, correct? Um, yeah, and it was it was it was one of our third kits in like '92, I believe. Um, and and it represents kind of what Manchester United was. I mean, we were founded by railway men in the late 1800s. We were a socialist right. club, and um, when we saw when when the glazer or when the glazers were going to come in and kind of take things over we felt like it was a uh, uh, kind of a going away from that socialist background that was manchester united you know the the people's game you know you've seen those signs everywhere that are um football was made by the rich or made by the poor stolen by the rich and that's that's kind of what the green and gold represents to us so 
And that's why you see spin-off, spin-off clubs like FC United of Manchester and stuff like that. So I open this to whoever wants to chip, uh, throw in onto, onto this topic. Do you think that Manchester United saw what Arsenal did uh, last week and decided, you know, I mean, I think, I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but Arsenal with the Cronkies uh, is a little bit different because we've been kind of having a lot more crappier seasons. But you think that United fans saw that and said, hey, we can do better fivefold? I mean, I think we've had protests for, like, we've had, like, smaller protests for a long time. And, like, it's been, like, something that we've discussed. I think it was, I I think that, I don't know if it was we could do better than Arsenal. I think it was just more, like, we felt empowered by the fact that other teams are actually standing up and getting kind of this oppressive, these oppressive ownership groups out. So, uh, I know, Kenan, you and I talked about this earlier. Uh is this is this the beginning of the franchising of European football? Well, uh, yeah, we definitely spoke on it earlier. I think it's definitely headed that way, and it's been happening for quite a while. But I almost think it's uh, that EPL has become something of measurement between even different continents or nations, and like every big club that's in the top five or six uh, in the flight has huge um, influencers from leading economies in the world. Uh, City's own, basically, it's a state-run program from the UAE. And Chelsea's basically, it's a product of Roman Abramovich and right. uh, Putin, you know. And, uh, you know, now we have us as the Americans having to get involved in buying, uh, you know, Man U or Liverpool, like the Fenway, uh, the... Uh, the JW Fen- Henry and Fenway, and it's it's just seems like who's ever in the top tier of the of the EPL has to have that backing. So um, I'm I'm sure it's bigger than we know. Do you do you what what is the uh, Jose? Do you got anything on that? No, I mean it's just kind of what he said. It's just with so many teams being backed by so many foreign. Um, such so many foreign uh, money banks and millionaires and things like that. It just makes me wonder if if we do go back to the, the way things were, if we do follow the German model, how many teams are going to actually be able to compete? And especially like because I don't I don't see Sheikh Mansour ever ever selling Manchester City, and he's going to just be pumping money. Same right. thing with Roman Abramovich. I mean, as much as we would like for the for these teams to go back to. Uh, being owned by the fans, or at least having some kind of influence by the fans, uh, how is how would how would that impact the league overall? And that's that's my biggest worry and biggest concern because I I don't want it to get to the point where it's kind of like where it's just one team always competing for the league and it's pretty much Germany or Italy or France. That's why I, that's why I watch the Premier League because of the competition. So do you guys think it was so last week? You know. The last two weeks, maybe the fans were sought as heroes, right? Because they were saving the league, saving the clubs. Do you think that any of the Manchester United fans are uh, now? Don't take this the wrong way, but do you think that they're villains now? You know, coming onto the pitch and you know, you know, throwing camera gear and stuff like that. I mean, the pundits and the, and the reporters are going to have to label them that because of what they did. And, I mean, if, if anybody were to come out and, and be in support of them, it's almost like career suicide for them. Right. But for the fans, I don't think I don't think that anybody sees it as anything wrong. I think we all in agree, are all in agreement probably that what they did is uh, a form of protest that I think actually worked in this case because <laughs> it set a strong, powerful message that the entire world was watching – if not, we wouldn't be here having this this conversation right now. Now, see, I think this is where I'm going to step in a little bit because I am in the agreement of this was the wrong thing to do. And not only, let me let me back it up for a second here. The protest outside the stadium, fantastic. You know, needs to happen if you feel this strongly. But once you get inside the stadium, you lose the narrative. It's now, right now, the, the media is not talking about how bad the Glazers are. They're talking about what these guys did inside the stadium yep, and yep. how bad it was. I was listening and reading articles today, and Arlo White and um, Lee, Lee Dixon, Dixon. we're going to call the game today. 
yep. and I was listening to their thoughts, and Lee made the comment about how this this was the vocal minority, all the bad things that happened today. You know, the thousands that was in there, the beer bottles that were thrown, the injuries that happened. You know, that's the minority, but that those guys now took the narrative. And, you know, every protest, you know, it seems like there's always the, that, that group of extremists, those nut jobs. And in my opinion, those guys aren't true fans because they took a, they took the spotlight away from the protests and away from the from what they're trying to what the point they're trying to get and now it's made it all about themselves you know now they're the ones you know that were kicking the football kicking the the ball on the pitch and you know storming this and throwing flares up into the sky or near the sky broadcasting booth and stuff like that so i think that those guys aren't you know people you know, can argue you know signs of a true supporter or that's just the passion of the game you know i don't think that belongs in the game that type of violence that type of, you know buses getting bu- bottles thrown at them rocks being thrown at play or players and team buses and stuff so i don't think this was the right thing to do i mean more power to them you know to be protesting outside the stadium but i think the protesters lost today they lost momentum due to all this violence today <laughs> How do you respond, though, to, like, Jamie Carringer, who I can't stand, obviously, because he's the biggest Liverpool fanboy that's ever existed, um, and Roy Keane and Gary Neville are, they all are on Sky saying, no, this was great. This was great. This is, what, this is what fans should be doing. I mean, everyone is – everyone has their own opinion. You know, and these guys, you know, they grew up over there, so, you know, I, maybe I have a different view of how these things should be run, but – like I said earlier, the, the narrative is lost. It's no longer how bad the Glazers are and how much bad they've done or not helped the football club when it comes to the footballing side. And now it's more just, you know, look at these guys on the field, these hooligans, and, it's, you know, you lost your message because of it. So I, I, so I, get, I get why they're doing it 100%, right? And more power to them. And I think I'm going to have to agree on that. I understand why they did it. But as soon as they jumped the barrier to go in the stadium, that's starting to be – that's vandalism. That's breaking entering. And I agree. Now, you're not on the news for, for protesting. You're on the news for, you know, going inside Old Trafford and, you know, breaking, breaking equipment. By the way, did you all see the kid that climbed on top of the, of the goal? And then as the camera panned out, he fell. Yeah, because someone someone kicked the soccer ball and hit the net underneath him, and it buckled, and he fell. It was hilarious. It it was pretty funny. Uh, (laughs) So next next topic, do you you guys think that money is ruining football in this case? Because that's what it came down to, right? For the ESL was was TV rights and sponsorships and money and all sorts of stuff, right? They, I think the the quote was what what was it five hundred million per. Per, per team at least uh, at least and i think it was what bayern munich that got 200 million just for winning the champions league the prior year so yeah. it would have doubled do, do you guys think that money is ruining the game i mean money's always been important i mean it's the pump you know of the game and uh whatever at, generation outside, you look at so outside outside of like sponsorships tv rights and stuff like that like these majority owners let's put it that way well, it's hard to turn a blind eye and just say that this is happening with the ESL that's been brought up. I mean, this really started happening when the Champions League even started from 93 and on, and it's been mostly dominated by select few teams, mostly Real Madrid. Uh, here and there, Bayern Munich, Chelsea once, Inter twice or three times. But overall, I mean, whoever spits the most money is hanging up there. And, and I think Pep uh, Guardiola said this the best. He said this isn't a different case at City than it was at Barcelona or whatever the case is. And, you know, it's a thin line between a working club and a rich club because, you know, rewind to 2007, City was a working club. I remember the days of Barcelona when they would play Real Madrid and everybody cheered for Barcelona because they represented the people and now everything's been yep. reciprocated. So yep. Yep. I guess the only way to win is the money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that, I mean, that is, it's sad to say, don't you think? 
Yeah, it's very sad. And uh, I think Bayern's been, uh, even though the Bundesliga has the best grade, uh, 50 plus one, and so does the Swedish league, and and the Eredivisie does too, to an extent, but what what they uh what they are really good at is they go in the Champions League, make all this money, and then keep going and signing other prospects from the Bundesliga, creating a powerhouse. Like you guys did in the last po- uh, podcast, that the Bundesliga is like the mafia, and that's exactly yes. What so, hey, absolutely. Yeah. You know, what a throwback. beautiful call out. Yeah, throwback. <laughs> that's that's it's true though, because if you look at the money in the game, the only teams that are consistently in the Champions League. Obviously, there are some exceptions. It's and, and are successful in European leagues are the ones that spend the money. You know, Bayern obviously are the exception. But that's because Bayern buys all the good Bundesliga talent. <laughs> but you know, in Spain, you know, you look at Real Madrid, Barcelona spend big money. PSG spend big money. City, Chelsea. I mean, you know, the exceptions of you know Liverpool. You know, they've only spent big the only these past two years. But that's really the path to get any sort of European glory. Now, inside domestic league, that's a different ball game. Absolutely. But when it comes to the big leagues, I mean, you need top-class talent. So I think the money is good because that means these good players end up on good teams. You know, no, you know, no, no offense to you know these like Dortmund, for example. They're really good at buying youngsters, but. They don't hold on to any talent, so they can't compete in Champions League. Yeah, they may have a really good financial budget. You know, they may be surplusing every year because they can they can sell. You know, um, Christian Pulisic, for example. You know, they bought him for like what five million, if if that. Sold him for seventy three million. I mean, they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna sell Erling Holland for anywhere between seventy five to two hundred million. I mean, but what does that do when it comes to their European standing? You know, you take out an Erling Holland from Dortmund, they probably don't even make it out of the group stage. So I think you need that big money if you want to compete big. And if you're brought, if you're, if your goal is just to win your league, then you necessarily don't have to have the big, the big owners, the big money. But if you want to compete European, you know, in the European league, you got to have that big money. That you got to have that sugar daddy. Yes. So shifting gears a little bit uh, with the Liverpool and United game not being played, uh, Liverpool have really nothing else to play for for the rest of the season besides this uh, place in the table. Uh, do you think the United, uh, the, e, the EPL is going to make United play uh, Liverpool before their, champ, their uh, next clash with Roma? I, I probably not. I would imagine not. There's just not enough time to get it fit in. But even if they did, I don't think it really matters. United were absolutely clinical against Roma. They, I mean, they were fantastic. And I don't think it, at this point United's plan was to go and throw Dan James and Donny van de Beek and all of them out against Roma, I think, at this point anyway. So I think that the, even if the league decided to make them play them, I don't think it would matter that much because I don't think – United were playing from playing too much of the first team in that in that game in Rome. Cool. Jose Ken, anything? I mean as far as the Europa League with United and uh and um Roma, I, you know, a few years ago Roma totally upset Barcelona and threw them out after having a minus three deficit. Uh I have seen consistently over and over again English teams fail against Italian teams when it comes to the final games, no matter what the chance is. So I think uh, I think we're in for a close game for the next one, for sure. But yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I just I don't see how they could just squeeze it in between now and Thursday. There's there would not be enough time for for the players to recover and train and then travel to Rome. It's just. Yeah. If anything, like like we was stated, it's going to be the B team playing in 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 Rome with maybe a few people here scattered there, um, just to, to fill in, get some minutes. But uh, I don't think that I don't think it's a game that is one hundred percent just in the bag. But I would say maybe seventy percent in the bag right now. Roma and Man United play at the moment. They play Thursday. Uh, aggregate 6-2, Arsenal and Villarreal play Thursday as well. Arsenal at the 2-1 deficit on aggregate. But 
they got the away goal. Let's see what they can do coming in back to the Emirates. And on the Champions League side, <laughs> Mason's team, <laughs> Chelsea, and Real Madrid, and PSG, and Man City. Next question is, do you guys think on Europa League or Champions League, there will be an all-English final? Yes, sir. No doubt in my mind. I think PSG is. Uh, I think PSG is class, and last year it was a. It was. It was. Um, it was very close between them and Bayern, and I definitely see them in the final. You think so? so? Think even even with them being down two one and having lost their midfielder on that red card. What you know? They had a guy sent off last game. I can't think of his name at the moment. It's escaping me. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, I mean, guy. They're just playing for uh for one goal, and I think they can attain that. So, so how how what do you think Chelsea's gonna do? Uh, I mean, they're only it's only one one on aggregate. What do, you, what do they have to do to get through Real Madrid? So they're just gonna keep doing what they've been doing, being solid defensively. And I swear that if Timo Werner misses another sitter, I'm going to throw something through the wall because this game should have been 2-1. And Timo Werner would have put the ball anywhere other than right next to Courtois' legs, which in the past haven't been very good, but all of a sudden against him is really good. What's your, <laughs> what's your, start, what's your starting three? My front uh, three? Front, yeah, your front three. Oh, it's Mason, Christian, and Timo. Because as much as I make fun of Timo because of his finishing, he still gets in dangerous positions. And he draws the – in, you know, he loves to run in behind and Real loves to play their high line sometimes or loves to play their high line. And Timo just gets in behind, you know, believe it or not, he is our leading assist giver for the, for the season this year. He, you know, he's had, even in this past game yesterday, he had a gorgeous assist to Kai Havertz. So, you know, as much as he can't put the ball in the back of the net, he can give it to Christian who will put the ball in the back of the net. So I think we're going to win two nothing. On Wednesday, two nil. Interesting. Any other takers on that? Uh, it's definitely going to be a close game. I actually thought that Chelsea was going to win the first game between Real Madrid and them, but um, I mean, Madrid is Madrid, so we <laughs> will definitely have to see and wait how that plays out. But as far as Chelsea, it's uh, what's nice to see is the constant progression and. I would say even digression for some people like Liverpool, you know, they played in the final and this year they're in sixth place in the league. And I think they had just had too many, um, too many tasks at one hand, but it's just liberating to see new teams constantly being competitive. Like Atalanta made it so far and now Chelsea's, uh, you know, back in it to, to go into the final three years ago, nobody thought Chelsea would be anywhere close again to getting to the final. So there has been that bright side that I think we've seen lately. I think Liverpool's downfall kind of – I mean, Jurgen Klopp gives excuses a lot. Uh, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. But I think it all started with their downfall of the seasons when uh, – uh, who was it? Virgil van Dijk that got hurt uh, yeah. on the Jordan, the Jordan Pickford challenge. Uh, that, <laughs> man, that was a hot topic too. Uh, but uh, Liverpool has not been the same team uh, the last uh, year they have suffered – immensely uh this last season um and it's just it's just been bad for them uh short of a fallout i would argue on the other side of it can Villarreal with unai emery the Euro, the europa league master can they pull off the i would say argue the upset against arsenal I mean, I wouldn't definitely say it's an upset. I would think Villarreal are very good the way they, they've been. Their team is um, – they have a solid team. Uh, and they, they have the whole time they've been playing. And Spain always puts out those teams in the Europa League that are very difficult to, be, uh, to play against. And, uh, but Arsenal, I, I do think they will swing it back against, against Villarreal. I, I do think they're better quality because I, I think they have more depth than they do. I think they'll pull through into the final. I think today's results for Arsenal is a good way for them to bounce back from that defeat and then also to move forward 
with whatever training sessions they do between now and Thursday so they can go in with the momentum and the belief that they can actually win games and they can um, again if I think I think it's going to be United in the final so if they're going into the final against United it'll give them that much more of a fight more uh, fire in their belly to, to perform out there and get to the final I think that I think that um, Arsenal gets the win on Thursday yeah, I think I think it's pretty evenly matched, and I do think that I, I think that the big deciding factor here is going to be simply the fact that the you've, you've got uh, Denny Ceballos suspended for Arsenal yep. versus Etienne Capou and for Villarreal, and Etienne Capou is far more influential on the game than Denny Ceballos, who in the first leg essentially was embodying the meme of "I swear to God, he is playing against us. Do not pass him the ball." So I think that that's going to be huge for Arsenal. They're going to have a huge advantage, I think, here. And I think I think the pace of Aubameyang just running in behind, now that he's coming back from, I think he should be at full strength coming back from malaria. I think that was a huge detriment to Arsenal as well. So I think I, I think this should end up being pretty comfortable for Arsenal. Um, I would be surprised if they didn't win by two or three goals here. I think... Uh... I think th- I think Arsenal. I mean, their next game after that is against West Brom on Sunday. I think uh, with Lacazette, if he if he's healthy, uh, he's on a roll right now. And Aubameyang scored today, kind of gives them that boost of confidence going into the next week. Uh, Martinelli, the young, the Brazilian superstar, as they call him, the youngster, is playing very great. However, I don't think he'll start. And what you, to your point with uh, Danny Ceballos, uh, Danny Ceballos is actually a rotational defensive midfielder. As a he's he's a he, he controls the midfield very well, but he's a rotational player because he's got other players that can easily fill that slot. Uh, so it's not. I agree. I don't think Arsenal will necessarily miss him uh, because they got Oligard, they got Xhaka, who's also a primarily a midfielder, even though he's dropped back into the wing, you know, the wing back slot. Um, so they they and they got a handful of other players, El Nenny. Uh, and Thomas Partey have also rotations, rotation through there. I think they'll, I think they'll pull it out. I think it's going to be a little closer. I think I'll, I'll go two nil to the Gunners. Uh, I do think they're going to throw the entire kitchen sink. I mean, they kind of have to. Uh, but being this one goal down, I, they have the they have the away goal advantage. But being one goal down, they can kind of, you know, not be comfortable. But I still think they're gonna they're gonna they're going to put out a very strong team. I mean, I, I don't know. Is there really, I mean, if you're an Arsenal, I mean, I, cause I'm not an Arsenal supporter, so I guess I can't really say, but I mean, I, you're obviously an Arsenal supporter. How do you, I mean, do you, does it even matter league position for you at this point between, uh, you know, anywhere from 12th to really what eighth is probably the highest we see Arsenal going. Like, does that, does that matter to you? Like, if if there's no Europa League title at the end of the year, is it is it time? Is it is it time to say Arteta out? Is is the season a bust? Uh, as a fan, I would say their their league uh, spot isn't necessarily a issue. But I think if Mikel Arteta wants to keep his job, it is. If that makes sense, uh, they, I mean they're, they're, they 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 kind of have to play catch up a little bit they got a string of games especially with Chelsea around the corner uh I think they're gonna I I think if if Mikel Arteta gets the Europa League title or if he even goes to the the, the Europa League final I think his job is safe if he if he wins it he's safe if he loses it I think he's safe as long as he gets there but I still think if he gets top 10 I think he's still safe and the league. Any other takers on that? <clears throat> because he wasn't the only one who was on the chopping block. Because we already said uh, Jose Mourinho is already gone. Uh, so we saw how Tottenham kind of fumbled the last few weeks. See, I think it's, I mean, not to rub more salt in the wounds of Arsenal fans. <laughs> but it really kind of shows the the state of mind Arsenal fans and you know Arsenal as a club have, just because like if Arteta if this happened with Arteta at any other big club, you know he'd be gone by now. If Klopp went through a stretch the way that Arteta has, Pep, I mean heck, Chelsea 
Yeah, if you was, if you was at Chelsea, yeah. you would have been, you would have been fired yeah. a long three times by now. Yeah, hundred I mean, <laughs> percent. I mean, you know, we you want wins, and so it's just this idea. You know, if if you're okay with being this team that competes for maybe a top six spot, and you know, hopefully maybe a Europa League here or there, then Arteta, I'm sure, is your guy. But if you if you're trying to you have aspirations for bigger and better things, I think someone needs you know. Someone needs to come in. Now, I don't know who that would be, but, you know, just with who's who's available. But someone's got – I'm sure there's someone better than Mikel Arteta. I mean, Steven Gerrard. You know, if he, was, if he decided he wanted to change his red to a different color red and manage Arsenal, I think that would be a really big boost for you guys, having a quality manager there who has experience winning things. I mean, look what he's doing right now in um, the, the Scottish Premier League, the Premiership over there. Don't you think Arsenal could use a manager with that type of experience right now? Yeah, but do you really think that Rangers will let him go? I mean, at some, everyone has a price. Everyone doesn't matter what they say. Everyone has a price. Rangers, Rangers won the title for the first time in what ten years? Celtic have had the title. I mean, they've only lost like three games all season long in the league, unbeaten in like ten or twelve. So I mean they're they're good, you know, with with the with the resource the limited resources, and I mean that'd be great too because we all know Kroenke doesn't really want to spend money on players or the right players, and I'm sure Gerard would be able to make something of that team to make because I mean there are pieces there in Arsenal to be fair you know there's quality players there to to be better than tenth or eleventh where you guys are sitting right now in the league. I think I think you need, you need a different manager because I mean look at Chelsea, you know Chelsea had Frank this you know last season no transfers understandable, this year you know when he got fired we were sitting at ninth, and we bring in a world class manager and we're one step away from you, the uh, Champions League final for heaven's sakes, I mean that's just a sign of if you have a really good manager that can utilize the pieces then I think you back up that truck and say all right how much do you want. We'll give it to you for him. Understood, understood. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, they could, but they they were also going to go for uh, they were also going to go for uh, Atletico Madrid's manager. Simeone. Yeah, Simeone, because Simeone was uh, apparently up for grabs a, a season or two ago. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, you never know. I think I think if he goes to the Europa League final, he'll be fine. Uh, but I think he also has to stay within the top ten in uh, the actual league. Yeah. Uh, switching gears again, uh, you know, shout out to uh, Ajax and the Eredivisie winning their thirty fourth title clinched uh, this week, and Serie A title goes to Inter Milan. The Nazanuri. After the league trophy is after the league trophy is dropped, Conte the trophy. I open it to the panel. What are your thoughts on these two championships? Uh, I mean, I've been a long fan of Milan. Never, I mean, for the longest time until this whole um, marketing system came and Paul Singer came along with his Elian management, and I've seriously stopped liking them at all until they get rid of that. But a huge congrats to Inter. I mean, they blew out the Serie A. And, I mean, it wasn't even marginal to Juventus. And taking someone off the throne for that long uh, that's been sitting on there by a, a strenuous amount of points like that is quite the achievement. Yeah, shout out to my guy, Antonio Conte. He was definitely hard done with how he left at Chelsea. I mean, he took Chelsea from a side that was that finished 11th in the league table to the next season, him coming in, winning the league title. He's got a classic 3-5-2. He calls it suffer ball. You can call it whatever you want to, but, <laughs> you know, it's it's successful. It's, if you, as a fan, just want to win trophies, he's your guy. If you're looking for the beautiful game, he ain't your guy. <laughs> and I think that Lukaku has really flourished under him as well. You know, Lukaku had his problems at Chelsea, and he had his known problems that he had at United as well. Fair or not fair, you know, that's up for debate. But Lukaku has really shown how good of a player you can be if you can if you can get him in a system that's going to be good for him. 
you know, he had a he's had a great strike partnership with um, Immobile, I believe is that is that who's there? And Christian Erickson. So I mean, it's shout out to my guy. He's an excellent guy. Excellent flow. Great hair. Great outfit for a game every week. <laughs> Love there that man. Nice. <laughs> Are we talking about Lukaku here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's pretty fresh. He's pretty fresh. So, uh, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Uh, thanks for all the listeners. Uh, check out our Discord inside the 90s. Just now set up. Also, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as we grow this. We got so much planned and a lot of cool projects in the mix. Gentlemen, we are going to go to our, our uh, fun little game called This or That. We're going to start with Mason. All right, so on this idea of, you know, ownership and, you know, millionaires being for the team, would you rather own a team in England or in Germany? What, what league would you rather own a team in? And, Riley, we're going to start with you. I mean, I feel kind of biased because <laughs> – I mean, I, I, I want to say England because I, to me... You can't own Man United. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but even then, even then, I think that I think that the English tradition of football is absolutely brilliant. And I think that if you actually are able to own a team properly there and, you know, love the team, nurture the team, nurture the club, and invest money into it, I think that you can... Um, think you'll get the to me that's where you get a the most out of your investment but b and far more importantly just i to me there's a lot of pride there in the english game you know there's a lot of pride in the clubs just from how they were founded so that's that's my answer england kyle uh so you know what i'm gonna go i i agree uh i'll go with england as well because because uh, arguably the championship is is actually the most competitive league in England. Uh, com- arguably, uh, you know uh, the second division there. Uh, I mean, shout out to Norwich City for getting promoted uh, and uh, coming Watford. in first. And Watford, yep. And who's the third team? That's that will be determined with the playoffs. Uh, understood. Got it. Yeah, so, uh, so I I agree, and I think I agree that with those lower tier teams, there's a lot more. Like every team has their pride in their supporter section, but those lower level teams, like they, there's there's much more pride because there's lot there's much more to fight for, you know. It's not <laughs> this. I'll probably get I'll probably get chastised in the comments or something for this, but that's one of the reasons why I like college college football better than I like professional football because the the players there's more pride, there's more there's more essence and flavor to the game. There's more to play for. Besides just money and sponsorships and all that junk, so I'm a, I'll go with England. I'll I'll be specific. I'll say uh, the Championship League, actually. Um, Jose, um, I am also going to say England. I think there's Ooh. a right way to do Ooh. this. Run the table. Yeah, I think there's a right way to become an owner, even being a, a foreign owner coming into the English English teams. And then there's a wrong way. If we look at the Glazers, obviously that's not the best example, but actually that's a very good example of how to do it the wrong ways. Uh, same thing with Kroenke. But then if we look at the owner for Leicester City, I, I, I don't want to even try to butcher his name, the gentleman that passed away a few years ago. Yep. Yep. I mean, but he was he was loved by the by the fans because he he embraced the history, the heritage of the club, yep. and was always at the games. And I mean, that's the that's the type of passion that you want from an owner, someone who's going to be there and support you and 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 be there with you through the thick and thin, when they were at their lowest, bringing them up to the highest, and celebrating with them with their victory. I mean, their victory was his victory, and his victory was the teams in the city's victory. So yeah, I mean, I, just like everybody else said, the, the the passion, the heritage, the history, England all the way. No disrespect to my my uh, German fans and friends that enjoy the German league. Keenan, uh, yeah, I mean, I love England. I I love uh, how deep their culture is. Like you stated, I love the championship. Uh, before coronavirus, seeing all the fans in the championship. I mean, you got teams in the championship like Birmingham City and Nottingham Forest, you know, 
uh, Nottingham, if not, is one of the oldest clubs and has won a few European titles. And Leeds United was playing there. I mean, Leeds used to be, the, you know, a Real Madrid in in the yep. Yep, and it's yep. just amazing seeing the quality and even looking at their uh, stadiums in the second and third division is astonishing. I mean, uh, much of those stadiums are better than a lot of places, first leagues. But on the contrary, I really do like how the Bundesliga is run uh, when I look at everything from second place and down. Uh, I know I stated earlier, it does work like the Mafia, but they've that's how they export their players to other leagues, and they really have strong quality. And I really like their DFB Pokal that they have. Uh, they they also have uh, they also give teams from second uh, division chances in the Bundesliga, like Union Berlin has had major success, and teams like Schalke are being relegated. So there's obviously something in that system that's working correctly. So. I would definitely love to own in Germany for sure. Ah, interesting. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Mason? Yeah, so my the biggest thing that I thought of when when coming with this either or was that in the Premier League you're definitely going to see more money. You know, you know, with just with the TV deals and the TV rights and such, you know, it's the most watched league in the in the in the world. So you know, there's something worth there, but you know, in Germany the the fans supportive you know all the big you know look at i mean no better example than the yellow wall in dortmund shout out to tyler bates i mean those guys the tifos that they have out i mean heck one year for the champions league they all shot up like sparklers almost or flares you know that created the logo in in the yellow wall i mean you're not gonna get any you're not gonna get that sort of fan experience anywhere in the world other than Germany. But I'm going to go to the Premier League as well. Because just like you guys said, that if you do it right, you can have that type of fan interaction like Leicester City. So you yeah. can get, kind of get the best of both worlds with with owning a team there in the Premier League. I don't know, man. In Argentina, fans die. That's quite an experience. That, so. Yeah. That's another topic for another day with that type of stuff down there. That's a, they're a little too crazy about it down there. So I'll, I'll take the next one. All right, gentlemen, your topic is, would you rather watch a game at home or at the pub? Now, granted, I think there's a little bit of a caveat to one or the other, but at home or at the pub? I think I know which way this is going to go. We'll start with Keenan. Uh, nothing beats Double Tap that I've recently hey, experienced. Hey, uh, shout out. Uh, but actually, out here in LA, there's a lot of uh, pubs where you can watch the games and really feel the atmosphere. And honestly, even watching the uh, Mexican league has been amazing in those um, uh, Mexican pubs. So definitely the pub. It's almost like you're at the game without having to, you know, have the hassle of being there. <laughs> Mason. Yeah, no, I'm agreeing. Because I mean, I do like the comfort of my own home and eating my snacks <laughs> and not having to, not having to pay for things. But there's nothing, you know, it's, that's the best option to be able to interact with your supporters. Or, you know, if you're there for a rival game, you know, the banter back and forth with other people who love the beautiful game. Riley? Um, for me, unless I know that that pub is full of people that share the same ridiculous passion for the club that I'm supporting, I'm going to say at home just because I, I, I tend to be the person that – can't go and do their job casting Call of Duty the next day because I screamed my vocal cords out at the television. So. <laughs> understood, understood, Jose. Uh, for me, it's the same. I'm going to say at home only because oh. I haven't actually had a good pub experience. I mean, the only bar, pub, restaurant here in Wichita that has that had a, uh, a soccer theme to it went under within a year, so I haven't really had the chance. So I will say this. If I could have it with some some friends, whether it's supporters or rivals or whatever it may be having it at home just having that that environment creating that that pub-like environment at home for me uh would be pretty nice especially with the tv the tv that i got it's, uh, it's pretty hard to beat it's pretty hard to beat that uh that view that i get so i'm gonna have to go uh see i get it so the legendary uh the legendary donovan goal right on the breakaway the throw from tim howard that went 45 yards uh, I, I watched that at my parents' ranch in my boxers, and I was screaming up and down uh, the hallway, right? Was it Donovan when they scored in the 90-plus? In the 
Was it Donovan or Dempsey? One there was two. Donovan. Dempsey had the shot. Is it, yeah. The World is Cup this one they tied yeah. against Slovenia? No. No, it was Angola. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Dempsey had the shot, then Donovan had to follow uh, and then scored. Uh, uh, my boy, future my my boy from Houston, Stuart uh, Holden was there. Shout out to Stu. Um, so uh, I, I so you can't you can't you can't strip down naked and run down the hallways of your favorite pub. You could you could probably get away with it in some pubs, but uh, I would argue there's nothing like a fun atmosphere at Double Tap. Uh, there's no I, I have absolute a blast there, and I go there. I used to drive 45 minutes just to go to the pub and grab a burger, say hi to all my friends, and then drive 45 minutes back <laughs> uh, through the desert. So for me, it's the pub. Uh, can't go wrong with the pub. Right, right. All right, we'll go to Keenan. Uh, all right, guys, I got uh, two great lineups. Well, first of all, this is just going to be a little quick one before I get to these lineups. But between jerseys, I think I know which, which Kyle's going to pick. But the Arsenal 02 Maroon jerseys or Newcastle's Brown Ale? Ooh. Uh, my first. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, the O two has a lot of history to it. I mean, just with you know uh, the team that they had, but the uh, the Newcastle black and white is this classic. You can't absolutely. beat the Newcastle. You can't beat the Newcastle black and white. Uh, I know I'm, I'm a huge Arsenal fan, but I'm also a big uh, Alan Shearer fan. Uh, so shout out to Newcastle and the black and white. Absolutely. What about, uh, Jose and Mason? Uh, I'll, I, same thing. I would go with the black and white. Uh, there's just one, one of the biggest things that will stand out for me from my early years of getting into, into football was watching the movie goal and having Newcastle be the team that was oh, uh, represented right. on, uh, in that, in that. And so that was, to me, stands out. And I mean, say what you will about the movie wasn't the best, but, uh, yeah, the black and white is just pretty iconic. It's no disrespect to the o, the O2 maroon for Arsenal, but yeah, absolutely. You can't go wrong with the uh, the old prison prison uniforms. No, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm in that same boat. You know, Alan Shear probably one of the best to play the game. Rocked that kit. You know, so I that's that's where I'm going to go personally. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I'd also go with Newcastle, even though I love the Arsenal two jerseys. But I had a quick one for you guys, since you guys brought up Ajax earlier. Between these two iconic squads, Ajax of '95 or Liverpool of '06, Ajax had Mark Overmars, Frank Reichard, Sador, Finiti George, Patrick Clivert, Van der Sar, Frank De Boer, Ronald De Boer, Edgar Davids, or Liverpool's Robbie Fowler, Sammy Hippia, Stevie G, Dirk Kout, John Arna, Risa, Jamie Character, Mascarano, Daniel Auger, and Xavi Alonso. Which squad would you guys choose? Jose? Ooh. <laughs> Damn. That's a tough one. Yeah. Came, out, came out swinging. Swinging. <laughs> oh, man. He's going to ask you to rename the team again. <laughs> I got to go with Liverpool on that one, honestly. As, even as a United fan, it's hard to say, but Liverpool – yeah that's why i asked you first <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay fair enough what about mason so it was the liverpool team and what was the other one uh the ix 95 team that oh, won the, the uh, first champions league yeah so in my fairness i was, I was gonna go ix just because they were they they won titles you know that liverpool team as great as it was Stevie G does have a great slip on his record. Oof. So, you, you know, you can talk about, you know, you know, all you want, but titles is what's going to do it. It's going to move the needle for me personally. Fair enough. I mean, oh man, just looking at the lineup right now, it's just, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Mark Overmars, who also played for Arsenal. Absolutely. You had Clarence, Clarence Sadorf, who's actually one of my all-time favorite players Absolutely. Uh, as, a, as, as a midfielder. He was awesome. Edwin Vandesar? Are you kidding? Vandesar? It was great. Uh, that. Yeah. And then uh, Frank DeBoer was on there as well. I think that was a, that was a, that was a great team. And, and, I mean, shut the door. Edgar Davids? Like, are you <laughs> with kidding? This, with his goggles? With the that. goggles? Uh, Edgar Davids, 100%. I am going with <laughs> I'm going with Ajax all the way. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough, gentlemen. Did uh, Riley have Riley? anything? Yeah. Was Riley oh, I'm sorry. Anything? I don't see you in the in the chat name. I'm sorry, Riley. No, you're good. You're good. I'm I'm on Mason's. Uh, Mason and I are together recording, so oh, it's okay. all good. For, uh to to harken back to the first one real quick, I do want to say 
it's the Arsenal O2 kit for me most definitely just because that was the Highbury. That was classic. The Highbury. Yeah. But um, on that note, I think for me, it's got to be it's got to be that Ajax side simply on the bias of Edwin van der Sar coming in and, you know, um, becoming a Manchester United legend, you know? Yeah. Uh, along with the rest of these guys, I mean, they were basically formed here. Actually, a lot of them played together. Uh, Seedorf and uh, yep. um, Overmars played together in the academy. They were best friends. So, I mean, you just can't put a staple on that. I, I just think you, you see Edgar Davids and you see Clarence Seydorf. <laughs> two of, like, probably arguably some of the best holding midfielders out there. Like, historically, let's let's be honest. Uh, it, it's just, oh, man, I, I'm just a big fan, especially growing up, you know, in the 90s, early 2000s. Yes, and uh, seeing these guys just run wild uh, it was it was great to see. Absolutely. All right, who's who's I think Jose's up, think, right? My, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna be a little bit of a devil's advocate uh, on a topic that we talked about earlier. Let's assume that for whatever reason, Arsenal does not make it to the Europa League final, and Arteta does not get the results that he needs to to secure his job to, to the point where we think that he'll he'll be safe. Rafa Benitez comes up available. Would you rather take Rafa Benitez or keep Mikel Arteta? Um, can I go? Because <laughs> I know, I know, Kyle, I listened to your last podcast, man, and I totally agree with you. Mikel Arteta, he needs more time. I think he is Arsenal's hey. Ryan Klopp, man. I think he's doing great things for Arsenal, and up against all the challenges, they got very far in the Europa League, and there was some damn class in there. So I definitely say give him more time. Rafa Benitez, he's. I think he's out of style right now. He needs a different type of club than Arsenal for sure. That's all I got on that. Uh, yeah, you guys, you already know my answer. More time. I'll take Arteta. Now I'm taking Rafa. He's got experience. And he's got trophies under his belt. You know, there's nothing. Yeah, I mean, Arteta may need more time. But how much time do you need before, you, before, you know, this, this massive club? Or what used to be a massive club in the <laughs> early two thousands, two thousand tens, to you know how you know how long until you're willing to to you know make moves to try to restore that. I always have this talk with Riley in regards to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as well. You know how long is your rebuild going to take? And I think if Rafa comes in, that rebuild time shortens immensely. That's a good point. I I agree with Mason. There there is. No, there's probably not very many jobs in England that have more pressure than being in Newcastle on time, you know, in the fishbowl at St. James. Honestly, I think I think Rafa has dealt with all of it before, and I just think Arteta's out of his depth. I just, I, I would if I had a choice, I wouldn't take either. I, I'd I'd go for Gareth Southgate at Arsenal, but. I think that Benitez is a better choice. That's interesting. <laughs> Stir the pot. <laughs> out, of, out of the two that I stated, I would also go with Rafa. I mean, like we said, that, that he has the experience, he has the, the the winning mentality, the trophies under his belt that could definitely help. I I like Mikel Arteta as a player. I think that had he gone and maybe had a, a couple of other teams under his belt beforehand, uh, before taking over Arsenal. Um, same thing that um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I was kind of surprised that he was appointed, and I've been pleasantly surprised with his results. But I've been expecting his sacking for the longest time. But you know, maybe maybe Mikel Arteta will have a better season next year, and hopefully he won't be on the on the chopping block. Mm, interesting. I thought you were going to say Jose Mourinho for a second. <laughs> I was against him from his appointment from the very beginning. Why not? He's managed the other teams in London. Just move on to the next one. Oh, for yeah, yeah, for Arsenal. I thought you meant for United. Like when oh, he was no. appointed for United, I was so against him for that. Yeah, same. Uh, Riley, you're up. Okay, so so mine comes from um, a very popular YouTube channel that I enjoy very much, which is the United Stands. Shout out Mark Goldbridge. Um, and he's made the point recently 
um, that he would rather see Manchester United be relegated to the National League than play in the Super League. So my question to you guys is, would you rather see your club start over afresh, no corrupt ownership, none of the problems that are going on right now in the National League, or get 450 million quid a year and end up in the Super League? Interesting. Um, well, well, I whoever wants to chime in on that can just go. I think. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go. Ahead. Go. 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 I, th- I think guess. the way that man, uh, man, you is like a trademark name, and if they did something like that, I highly doubt anybody would be willing to cross over them to go to the Super League. So yeah, I mean, I'm not a Man U supporter, but. You know, if it if it did swing to that, I think I saw this with Juve happen. What's happening now is Juve did this about a few years ago. You know, they kept saying no to people. They kept saying no to their fans, no to these guys, no to those guys. Uh, they they went down with the multi-level marketing thing, you know, start from the top-down approach type thing. And they got eventually relegated and they got um, sued for corruption. And I think it's only a matter of time that that would last and it would fail even if you did get that 450 million quid so i would definitely go to the lowest league possible so uh here's my take i think i would rather stay uh just because of what we talked about earlier and uh kind of a history kind of thing right here let's not forget that we talked about newcastle newcastle was offered to get buy out by a billionaire a couple years ago and they and they said no so and look and look at their progress the last few seasons so I mean, it, it it can kind of go both ways. If Newcastle would have got bought out by a few, I, I forgot who it was that was trying to buy them out. Uh, but they they could easily be in top ten instead of fighting for relegation every other few seasons or whatever it is recently. Um, I'm, I I'd rather stay in the first division. Yeah, I as much as I like to proclaim that I you know take the money every time. But I think there'd be more nobility in coming up from the bottom. You know, you you at least keep your fa- your supporter in your fan base intact, and that would be your main revenue supply for in those years building up. That you'd at least have that that going for you. If you went super league route, you know, I think you would lose them, and you'd be relying more on that super league money to keep your your team afloat, which isn't a really good business model. So. I'd probably go – I'd probably drop down personally. I think the fans kind of showed this these past two weeks how loyal and, and how much um, they are for the team. If you go with the Super League route, they're going to turn on you. And no matter how much your team is making off of TV rights, we know that the, the fans are the, the true um, movers and shakers of the game there. Uh, if you get demoted and you work your way up, you're still going to have the same fan support. You're still going to have those diehard local fans that are be coming to every match and supporting your team. And then when you make your way back up to the Premier League, you know what? They can say they've been with you through the entire time, through thick and thin. So, yeah. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I think I agree with you guys. Um, for me personally, I'd even take it a step further. If, if someone told me right now that, that if, the Gla- if we had the Glazers leave, there was no Super League, but the Glazers left, and we had to go down to the National League. So, like, out of, out of the top four flights, I would do it. I'd do it in a heartbeat to get our club back. Um, and I think that, I think that I, if I was a fan of any team that had corrupt ownership, I mean, even if it wasn't, you know, Manchester United, I think, I think that the purity of the game is so much more important than anything else. So, yeah, I think, uh, I, think I agree with most of you guys there. Well, uh, just uh, when we brought up the topic between England or Germany, what I do like about Union Berlin is, I mean, they're a small club that was really pushed into the Bundesliga by their fan base. And same with 1860 Munich and teams like that. So it's possible. And um, I think if we're being deprived of this as fans, I mean, and they're already trying to push something else on the agenda. They're talking about this, adding another bracket thing or whatever the case is. They're just trying to pitch another idea. And I mean, they already did this with uh, uh, UEFA Nations League. And honestly, man, this UEFA is a bunch of criminals, but they need to be the regulators and or it's going to lead to a big short. It's like when the person that's the richest is not doing the right thing, it's just going to lead to a travesty. And I don't even know what's going to happen in the next few years. 
wasn't there a team in one of the lower divisions that I want to say in England that their their team was struggling through the COVID financial crisis right now, and their fans were buying tickets to games that they knew that they couldn't attend just to help this team stay afloat. I I can't remember the team name. Yeah, I've I heard this. To... I heard the story, but I don't know the team. Yeah, I mean, so that just goes to show you how much love and support those teams have, and they're how much they're willing to do for for their their club. If you ha- if you give them a a blank slate, a free or a, a restart by going down to the lower divisions, they're going to be there with you, and and help and help cheer you back up to the top. I, my gut tells me that was part of the Wigan thing when Wigan went into administration and that whole catastrophe because of the. Uh... It may ownership been. group that had the scandal with their betting, you know, faking numbers and and stacking bets and whatnot. I think I think it was with the Wigan thing, but I could be incorrect there. Interesting, interesting. All right, Mason, back to you. So, if you could play for, man, you're you're a top footballer, you know, top you know top of the league. Would you rather be? A world class striker or world class goalie? You know, you're going from the sexiest to the not sexiest players in football. Oh, that's easy for me. I mean, I'm a keeper now as it is, anyways, and that's that's the position that I, I, I love playing. That's the position that I, I thrive in. Uh keeper for me, without a doubt. Rather Ex- be excellent choice. Yeah. Excellent choice. Keep your goalkeepers union right here. Absolutely. <laughs> That's it. Three of y'all already. Just okay. No, I, I'll be a, I'll be a striker. I'm gonna have to go back to. Well, yeah, in, I'm with Kyle. In in, uh, in uh, as a, as a midfielder, uh, as a player that I love feeding my forwards uh, and my wingers balls and everything. And oh, that sounds really bad. Uh, <laughs> hey, as long as they're not feeding you the balls. Uh, oh, lol. I love passing. A ball to my <laughs> to my teammates. I've always been that player. I'm always I'm, I've been an unselfish player. Uh, but uh, to the sense of the question, uh, I'd rather be a striker because I can always I, I enjoy holding. I, I'm a very this sounds conceited. I, I like holding the ball up more and uh, distributing more. Uh, so I, I I think I'd rather be a striker because I can always. I, w- I can always feed and play to other players. If you're the goalie, man, you're just you're just there. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so, Spoken so like it, someone it, who's it, never played the position before. Exactly. Hey, hey, but uh, I'm, a, I'm a utility player. I'm over here thinking I, about I, I all the distributions goalie. that we do, the 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 startup plays that we start no absolutely. From I think everything like, runs from that. Uh, you know, as a kid playing, I played goalie too, and then later I played striker, and it was much easier. Or as a forward. It was much easier to play forward once you were the goalie once in your life because you know how it functions. But honestly, I, I don't believe in the theory of the forwards get more credit than the goalkeepers. I mean, how many goalkeepers do people know by name? Like, just about as much as forwards. So, I would personally rather be a forward. But yeah, you, either, you either die here or you live, live to see yourself become the villain. I mean, no, no, better, no better example is Loris Carius. He, he was great for Liverpool until that one game. No, and he was he was great good. for Real Madrid. Yeah. So 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 let so, right, so let me jump in real quick because this is the topic, and then the rest of you guys can answer. So who do you, what do you guys remember more? Do you remember you remember uh, uh, Thou shall not score goal, Tim Howard, and his epic what was it thirteen? 15, 15. 15 saves, or do you remember Donovan scoring the game-winner goal? Which one do you remember more? What, what is this for? Would you rather be a key, world-class keeper or a world-class striker? I see what you're Which, Yeah, based upon you say, well, who, who do you remember more? That's my, that's my argument. Because unless you're like a diehard fan, you'd probably say, well, Donovan. But most fans know – that Tim Howard was on cloud nine that game. He was absolutely spent spectacular. I feel like if we would have won that game, I would have picked Tim Howard. But you know, but because we still end up losing that game, you know, it's got to be Donovan. Just because you know, wins or losses really, whether it's fair or not, really drive the narrative on how successful and how great and and memorable these players are. So I'm probably gonna have to go with Donovan on that one. I think. I think for me, 
I would say I would say I remember Tim Howard more, but I I would also say that more so than that, the thing that made me disassociate myself from the United States men's national team and fully commit myself to the Trace Leones of England was actually the infamous Wando miss. So Ooh. I remember that more than Ooh. than the Tim Howard saves. So uh. I I mean Donovan's goal, sure, but Wando's absolute throw job. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Timo, Timo Werner levels. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, coming from from a keeper standpoint, like I said, I I think of the saves that that he made during that game, uh, regardless of whether they won or lost. The the I. I can't say that I've been in his shoes, obviously, but I have been in some pretty tight games where every save matters. And in whether you, if you lose, yeah, you lost, but the the result could have been so much more worse. And then that's when you're just playing for pride. And he was just going all out for those for the for the for the U.S. in the, in that game. I don't know. For me, I'm always going to go the keeper's route just because that's my position. Fair enough. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, is it my turn? Yeah. All right. All right. So in the prime, and this is kind of different, different periods. Would you rather have Sergio uh, as a uh, midfielder? Would you rather have Sergio Busquets? Okay. Gattuso. Okay. Or Fabinho? Ooh. Busquets, Gattuso, or Fabinho? I'm going to have to go with Gennaro Gattuso. I mean, this dude brought swag, hairstyle, flair, <laughs> goal scoring, utility player. I mean, what, yes. what a complete player. I got to go with Gattuso. I mean, Fabinho is amazing. He could even play attacking midfielder. But it's just like the uh, Gattuso had like that force multiplier, you know? Like, I don't know. I got to go with Gennaro, man. I think for me, I'm going to go Busquets. Just because he provides, he's kind of like that Fabinho. He's got that utility in him. He can play that defensive midfield. He can hold, but he can also distribute really well from the midfield as well. I mean, he's been one of those link-up players, those crucial link-up players for those great Barcelona teams. In the oh, game. yeah. So I think I have to go Busquets personally. Fair enough. Yeah, I think I agree with Mason. You know, in the um... – the days of the Tiki Taka at Barca and just the absolute creative genius that was that Barcelona midfield core and just kind of redefining what it means to run a midfield. To me, Busquets was part of that, so it has to be it has to be Busquets. Although that's probably recency bias, unfortunately. I'm gonna go Gattuso as well. Um, it was it was a different time, and the Italian league was a lot more physical back then when he was playing. And the the type of player that you that you had to be, uh, no, just oh yeah, I mean, yeah, Gattuso for me, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm I'm there 100. Uh, again, as a fan, man, Gattuso, and he was a brute too. He was an absolute enforcer. Uh, just he would just destroy destroy people. Um, and uh, great that he's actually on the manager route right now um, and he's making his way uh, <laughs> through some clubs. Uh, he's a great player, and it's, it's good to see him carrying on his uh, great legacy. Ladies and gentlemen, that is it for the show tonight. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I thank our, our fans to come on, Jose, Keenan, and Riley, and myself and Mason. I want everyone to please check us out. Uh, if you have a Discord, Inside the 90 on the Discord, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We'll see you very soon on the Inside the 90 podcast. Have a good night.